Welcome to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is change the negative stigma around failure into a positive. Failure is only a negative if we do not learn from it and we give up. Welcome back everyone to the Fail Forward podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to help people overcome the fear of failure so they can live their goals and dreams. So today I've got Ellie Mackay with us today. She is the On A Mission podcast host. She's also an entrepreneur, multiple business owner and property investor. Welcome to the podcast, Ellie. Hello. Thank you for having me, Henry. Looking forward to it. Amazing. Let's get stuck into this. So what what are the things that um, I really wanted to get you on the show for is I've been following you now for, for a while and I've been seeing you talking about failure and also talking about your life quite openly on Facebook. Um, and I love that. I love how honest and open that you are. Um, so tell me, um, you, you said in a recent post that you restarted your life at 35. What was life like before 35 so i read that you were um, at 35 you were being made redundant you're in job seekers allowance so what was life like before that well it's really interesting if you go right back to when i was 17 18 i was actually a high performer by all intents and purposes i was working in the double glazing industry within sales it's something i kind of fell into by complete fluke i was literally just doing cold calling outbound telesales and yeah basically what happened was my manager at the time son got taken ill at the same time his assistant uh, quit on him and I was asked if I would step up and as one of the top performing salespeople, if I would step into the management role and actually I performed so well that it's quite terrible really that by the time my then manager was ready to return to work three or four weeks later after his son was out of hospital our stats were so much higher than before that they made him come back as my assistant which was um, which was quite funny really uh, I, I was offered a promotion at age 19 which is when I moved to Doncaster I was offered the area manager job within the, the telesales function I was responsible for about 100 members of staff at this time so I was very much used to earning decent money and performing at quite a high level but a few personal things happened my mindset was very negative at the time very much in victim mentality my sister was quite severely unwell back in Scotland and I really needed more of a nine-to-five where I could get back and support my family and make that my priority so for that reason I left the sort of high-flying, high-salaried telesales position, not well, management position, I was a senior management position at that point, and literally started from scratch with a, a nine-to-five on 16 grand a year, which wasn't really enough to cover my, my rent and my bills at that point, so I ended up just working two jobs to make ends meet, but it did mean I could finish at five o'clock on a Friday, drive to Scotland, and uh, not have any other commitments or responsibilities, whereas when I worked in sales, it was six days a week, plus uh, the, the seventh day you were available on the phone, you had to be in person on a Sunday once a month as well. So it was an all-consuming job. It was not just the hours that you were there, you had to really live and breathe it. And I was at a time in my life where, like I said earlier, it wasn't my priority, my, my priority shifted. But a, a few things kind of happened within a, a few year period. I had a sort of normal nine to five, if you like. But my husband, who was an electrician, who was an electrician, still is an electrician by trade, we were sat there in our early 20s. We were young and had the entrepreneurial spirit. We kind of knew, we always knew deep down that we were capable of more. And, and actually, that's when we got involved in our pro- first property investment and we we had very little money at that point we had to beg borrow and steal to put down quite a large deposit at the time but we bought an off-plan apartment which was going to be in an area in Sheffield which was getting regenerated there was a lot of excitement about it at the time but sadly it didn't kind of pan out like that for us with with all the best of intentions I mean to be fair we'd done very little really in the way of due diligence but back then Gosh, it would have been a great time to do property because you could buy a property and refinance it in the same day. This was back in 2006. So our our intention, we bought this flat for 125 grand, which in property terms isn't a lot of money. But for a young couple in their early 20s with not a great deal of savings behind them, it was a monumentous amount of money. But this property was guaranteed 
Henry, it was guaranteed to be worth at least £200,000. So it was a no-brainer. We could have just flipped the property on on the same day, banked the capital, and we were going to go again. And why was everyone not doing it? You know, and to be fair, actually, a lot of people were doing it. But the development got flooded. So that meant that it was postponed for a good few years, meaning by the time it was finally finished, bear in mind, we put pen to paper in 2006. It was completed mid-2020 smack bang in the middle of the global recession. So this property that was guaranteed to be worth 200 grand was suddenly worth 60 grand. And it was a nightmare. We had at one point, six weeks, I think it was, six to, to eight weeks to come up with £40,000 to meet our contractual obligations. We were struggling to get a mortgage, as you could imagine. Otherwise, they were going to come after us. I mean, I don't know what they could have taken. We were in a, a three-bed semi with a pair of, like, second-hand cars that weren't worth a great deal at all. But the pressure we were under at that time was absolutely immense. And the reason I share that, even though it was so long ago, was after that experience, I was very, very risk-averse. I was never one of these people that always wanted to run their own business. My parents had had their own business. I'd watched them go bankrupt. I'd watched us have uh, go from having five-star luxury holidays abroad to you know having the best of everything, to having bailiffs at the door to repossess our things. So I'd sort of seen both ends of the spectrum, if you like. And after that happened to us with our first property uh, mishap adventure, whatever you want to call it, I was just very happy to retreat to the comfort and security of a nine to five. And to fast forward a, a few years, and I'll, I'll also just chuck in for your listeners that at that point, from a mental health point of view, you know, I was really, really struggling and on all sorts of pretty heavy duty medication for a, a lot of years for severe anxiety and depression life really was was pretty challenging but my husband at that time he went on to set up his electrical business and become quite successful but from my point of view I was very happy just being in a role even though as the years started to roll on one after the other there was always this deep sort of very very deep hidden yearning feeling I suppose in my stomach that kind of knew I should be doing more with my life but sorry this is a very lengthy answer to your first question it, it's, it's like war and peace it feels like a you know it's quite interesting I talk about this story and it's hard sometimes to reconnect with the emotion of it all because you know what happened and you know it happened to you and you know how challenging it was at the time and and i'm very open about the mental health struggles the anxiety the depression around having to come up with all this kind of cash and we did it we met our obligations by the way just to, to close that loop with that property i don't honestly to this day remember how we did it but it did take its toll emotionally as as well as financially so when my husband set up the electrical business that was absolutely fine and I supported him 100% but for a good few years I was happy with the mediocrity of uh, and I don't mean that with any disrespect but for the kind of job roles I was doing compared to the the sort of high pressure high energy environments that I was previously used to working with it was actually quite comforting you know but in in 2016 my husband's electrical business was on the brink of bankruptcy which was it was absolutely horrendous a big national construction company went under owing us a very sizable amount of money compared to what we were turning over at the time and we had 18 staff working for us we knew that we weren't going to be able to pay them because we weren't going to get paid ourselves. And my husband and his business partner, still our business partner to this day, they made a decision to take a bank loan out to pay those wages, knowing actually that decision could cost us the business. It could be the, the thing that tipped us over. And yeah, the, um, the, the pressure, the stress we were under at that time, wondering if we were going to lose our family home, it was absolutely horrific. And as well as sort of dealing with that on a, I say on a professional level, it, I mean, it, it literally seeps into every aspect of what you do when you're waking up in the middle of the night with heart palpitations. But I was also pregnant and signed off work with 
um, they didn't know if I had Crohn's, they didn't know what was wrong with me at that time, I was going through all these tests, but actually, I think with hindsight, it was, all, it was probably all interlinked with the stress I was under at the time, and uh, yeah, it was very interesting, Henry, I'm just going to, oh, can I have permission to massively overshare with your listeners? Yeah, go for it, go for it. <laughs> I've you answered your 10 questions within my yeah. answer, by the way. No, no, but there's lots I can get stuck into to ask more questions. It's all good. <laughs> oh, I, I, I hate when my podcast guests do this. I'm like, just give me a short answer and then we can dive deeper. And then I've just done the thing that I hate as well. So we're, we're, we're literally going through the mill. We're not sure if we're going to lose our business. We are not sure if we're going to lose our family home. I've got, um, I'm heavily pregnant with our, our daughter, Isabella. She's born in the midst of all this pandemonium. She was a best thing that, that could have happened, a little ray of light and all the darkness at that time. But as I said, I'd spent the majority of that pregnancy in and out of hospital. I was bedridden for a lot of it. It was just a horrible, horrible time. So when Isabella was born, I don't know if you want to call it depression, postnatal depression, what blend of depression, but you know, I was having panic attacks, and struggling to kind of leave the house. It was just a very, very challenging time. Mark, my husband, was booked in for the the SNP. He was going for the vasectomy. You know, we'd had our two kids. We had other priorities at that point, which was just trying to survive and, and be there for the two, two beautiful girls that we already had. And I'm there with my, my newborn baby, three months old, in my arms. And the Friday before my husband was due for his consultation on the Monday, I found out I was pregnant with... <laughs> Daniel, who is the third and definitely final edition of our beautiful, amazing family. So, you know when you're just like, come on, universe, what else can you chuck at me? What else can you chuck at me? But there was a few little light bulb moments as well, just just for, for a bit of context to the listeners. Because in 2016, 2017, when we were having to make some pretty hard decisions. I remember having a conversation with my husband because he was, a, as an electrician, without a team, he could go and earn 50, 60, 70, even 80 grand a year just working on his own. He was very good at what he did. He used to do a lot of price work. He was happy to travel. And where I live in the north of England, certainly back then, that was considered a, a pretty decent salary. You know, we, we weren't destitute. We, we had a nice detached house. We had nice holidays, nice cars. We had a nice lifestyle. We weren't setting the world on fire. But that is what a lot of people would class as a, a very comfortable living. And we, at the point of, you know, are we going to go bankrupt? Are we not going bankrupt? We had a conversation about whether or not he should just go back to doing that because the, unless someone's experienced the stress and the, I mentioned the words heart palpitations earlier, that, that's no exaggeration. You know, the heart palpitations were real. I've never never seen my husband, he's, a, he's never struggled with anxiety or anything like that. But when you think that you're not going to be able to provide for your family, it, it puts us all in, in such a extreme and, and horrible situation. And we just thought, and I've actually, where have I, where have, wonder if I've got the sign somewhere. I'll find it. I'll find it. We've got it in this office somewhere. And we said, we haven't come this far to only come this far. There's no way we've endured all that stress, literally blood, sweat and tears to give up now and just go back to Mark being a sole trader. No f***ing way. And we endured all of that pain and suffering to not make a success of our life and our definition of success really leveled up at that point too but you know of course you have these Hollywood moments and things don't just slide into place because that's not how the universe work I found out I'm pregnant with Samuel we've still got a mountain of debt to deal with and you know the the, the universe decided to throw us a few more grenades we lost my father-in-law very very suddenly to, to cancer, a horrendous time. My, my gran got a terminal diagnosis and was dead within a couple of months. My sister was sectioned for, not for the first time, under the Mental Health Act. And all of this stuff continued to keep happening right up until the point that you started off with when I got made redundant, when I'm still on maternity leave, bearing in mind I've had two consecutive maternity leaves, which was hilarious. I just remember ringing up my work because they knew I'd been struggling with my mental health. 
Isabella's there three months old. I remember ringing my manager. I was like, it's just to let you know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be on maternity leave and I'm, I'm, I'm having a baby. And she's like, Ellie, darling, you, you've had the baby? <laughs> I was like, yeah, this is another baby. <laughs> like what uh and, and then during that second maternity leave the the contract got finished everybody on that contract was uh was made redundant the the entire team the the management from top down we, we were all gone and i got that fateful call which seemed like one of the worst days of my life at the time but actually turned out to be one of the best absolutely love that in the sense of where you got to um you know, I always say when my business went under, people always put their head to one side and like, you know, as if someone, something really bad happened to you. I'm always like, that's the best, it was the best day of my life. It was like the, 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 the day that I restarted my life. And that's why I really resonated when you said, because I was 35 as well at that point. Um, and we lost our family home. We had those same things. My wife was pregnant through the time and we had the heart, heart, heart palpitations and my wife suffers from anxiety. So I can relate to so much of this, so much of it. Um, so Ellie, you're talking about, um your parents they so they ran a business um and then that went through um some bad times so do you think obviously that put some um some sort of a bit more risk averse into you but do you think also that you were influenced by their entrepreneurial ways you know what it's only something i've started to think about recently because my grandparents again it's weird i've never really considered it my grandparents were actually quite entrepreneurial on my mum's side they were a very working class mining family generation after generation just went down the mines my granddad's still alive to this day he's 95 years old but they somehow they must have done something dodgy because they somehow managed to get enough money to relocate from uh, from shots shots where they lived in scotland just this tiny little pit village that no one's heard of and relocated to Lytham St Anne's, which used to be where all the Scottish lot went on holiday for the Glasgow Fair. It was a huge thing. I don't necessarily think that those links are there so much to this day, but it was a huge, huge holiday destination, St Anne's specifically next to next to Blackpool. So my mum was very much brought up around that kind of mentality. So I'm not a rags to riches. My grandparents aren't super wealthy or anything but they were able to afford a nice life for themselves certainly a lot more than had they continued down the path that was laid out for them so my mum and dad when they got together they used to do the markets so they met they lived in england and lived in saint anne's they both had their full-time jobs and then at the weekend they drive to scotland on a friday my, my papa my granddad used to go with them and they'd set up market stalls and they used to do sell textiles, but they'd also do textile parties. This was before it was a thing. Now, it's not uncommon, is it, for people to come and uh, like demonstrate their products at, at like a party or a community hall or whatever. But this was quite a novel concept back then. So they used to take all this bedding and curtains or whatever they, they had and, and go to these big community halls. And they, they were always like flat out packed so they were able to accrue quite a lot of money quite quickly from that and eventually they moved to Scotland stopped doing the markets and they, they set up a shop but I, I saw the really ugly side of business my mum and dad are no longer together but they were business partners and they remain business partners and, and probably married for quite a lot of years more than they should have done because it's even more complicated to leave your other half or you know we all this is a bit of a sort of grim thing to talk about but I've been married to my husband for 18 years now and if you're going to separate there's a lot of complication there it's not just your finances it's your families it's it's, it's everything isn't it it's your whole world but if you then add on top of that working together and all that fi financial sort of codependency I I definitely think that um it's not for the faint-hearted whatsoever because a lot of people go into business and they get on great and by the end of it they're they're ready to kill each other which you know is is the honest reality as well if you don't get your roles and responsibilities right but i did i, I we i saw us going from uh sort of ex-council house to living in quite a fancy big detached house with nice garden and we had like a pond in the garden and we were able to go to like Disneyland and I remember being the first 
kid at our school to get electric windows when we had a car and we had like electric curtains and we, we had quite a nice life you know we had like a, a a maid that used to come around and do our cleaning and help with the cooking and look after my sister and I and things so we were quite privileged so I, I literally saw them building that up and and having sort of normal-ish life to quite a privileged life to then literally losing it all, including the houses and the divorce and the, the sort of nastiness uh, around that, the vitriol and, yeah, the bankruptcy as well. So I can't ever say I had a burning desire to get into business and there wasn't really anything that I saw myself as being particularly good at and it was never presented as an option when I was at school. I, I wanted to be a journalist because my parents... You might have noticed, I'm good at talking. My parents always recognised that in me and I wanted to either be a journalist or a lawyer, but for years I thought that's what I wanted and actually when I stepped back from that as an adult now, it's like, hmm, actually, that's what my parents drilled into me I would be good at and that I wanted, not in a pushy way, but they, they sort of influenced me into believing that that's what I wanted with the best of intentions. So I, I, I definitely saw the good and the bad of business for sure. But yeah, definitely wasn't... You, I bet you'll interview a lot of people in your podcast, as I do on mine, who they always had little side hustles when they were at school or they were thinking of creative ways to make money. Like, that, that wasn't me. You know, that was not me at all other than mashing up a bit of perfume when I was about six and trying to afford it for the moment for a pound. You know, I, I had uh, no desires whatsoever to... To kind of do it but when, when I worked in sales it was all like wool for Wall Street it's a funny thing isn't it business just never seemed like a viable option to me I wanted to earn good money I wanted to have freedom and autonomy and it's only now I can say having experienced five years in business that it just should be shouted about so much more I mean yeah I do talk a lot about the challenges but the advantages of running your own business there's so so many of them and I didn't really I suppose because of the negative way that my mum and dad's business ended, I'd never particularly seen business as... Uh, I didn't have successful parents in business to be like, oh, wow, like this is a great way to live life in your own terms and have freedom and build generational wealth. I was just thinking, oh, my God, like never set up your own business. Yeah, yeah, I can relate to that because my dad used to do property, but he did it the really hard way of flipping houses, but we'd live in a caravan and I'd be like pushing a wheelbarrow around and it put me off property. I didn't get into property, I'm 30, what, two years ago, so like 20 years it put me off property and then I suddenly realised doing property the right way is is completely different. So uh, very similar to you, I was in school, I didn't know you could, the things you could do. I got failed all my GCSEs and got most likely to go to jail award when I when I left the prom, which was fantastic. But so, so tell me, Ellie, when you left school at that point, did you go off and do college? What was your what was your plan? So I'm like you, I'm a talker, but there wasn't really anyone saying, oh, if you're really good at talking, you can do this, right? So what was the plan after that? So, so my original plan was to be a war correspondent, okay? Because my mum and dad told me that I would be the next KAD. I don't think I ever truly knew who KAD was, but I used to just go around and tell everyone, oh, yeah, I'm going to be the next KAD. So because I'm, it's a bit, the schooling system's a bit different in Scotland. So I'm, my birthday's the 28th of February. And on the 1st of March, that's the last day of the month. And on the 1st of March, it's the, the cutoff for the, well, the 28th of February's the cutoff. First, if you're born on the 1st of March, you're on a, the next school year. So I was the youngest, literally the youngest in my school year. So I did my standard grades, which is the GCSE equivalent, and my uh, hires, I think they were called, which is like your A-level equivalent, and had enough to get into university. I definitely didn't do amazing, but I had enough to get to the university I wanted to at that time to do journalism. But you had to be 17 to get into university, and I was 16, and I didn't see the point in staying on an extra year. I, you know, I, I was of that mindset. I've done the minimum that I need to get in. So at that point, I decided I was going to do the HND route through college. So you could do the, the two-year HND in journalism and go straight into your third year at university. So you, you weren't adding a year on. So yeah, I'll be completely honest. I lasted about three months at college because there was no careers guidance other than me seeing that this woman goes to war zones and me thinking that could be pretty cool to run around dodging bullets like a bit of a 
James Bond type figure in my head or Nikita or something. I don't I don't really know what I was thinking. I then turn up at college and they're asking me to do shorthand and learn about law and all of this stuff. And I was just like, oh, this is a bit dull. When do we get to the good bit? You know, so I ended up quitting that. I had a part-time job at Burger King, went full-time there. And, and it was it was a telesales. That, that's what happened. And that's where I ended up earning really good money. My friend came into Burger King, said, oh, what are you doing here? Because we didn't live in that town. And she says, oh, I work around the corner. I work for this company, Zenith Windows. Uh, I sell double glazing. I was like, what do you mean? She's like, well, we bring people up and we, we like arrange appointments for the reps to go out and price them for double glazing. I was like, hang on, stop, stop the press. You are telling me someone pays you to talk all day. And she was like, yeah, we're literally on the phone just talking all day. I was like, oh, you know that way? I was just like, I just felt like my whole universe it opened up. I was so excited. <clears throat> and when, when I found out she was on 40p an hour more than me, that was it. It was a, it was a no-brainer. Love that. Yeah, love that. And and so you t- mentioned earlier, um, you, when you were in that job, your mindset wasn't right. So did, what sort of mindset did you have? Very fixed mindset at that point. What was What was going on? No, no, not when I worked in double glazing. When I worked in double glazing, I was a real high performer. I used to, <clears throat> just as a canvasser, because we didn't have computers or anything. It was, we had data books and, it, you know, it was very, very raw. But the commission you could earn was absolutely insane. So I didn't really know what I wanted to do the rest of my life. I had my family kicking off at me because I was full-time at Burger King up until taking this job with no kind of forward plan of what I wanted to do. I decided I wasn't really interested in university. And very quickly from doing this job within double glazing, I was getting hundreds and hundreds of pounds a week in commission. I was getting way more money than anyone else I knew, including, like, the adults. I certainly wasn't an adult at that point. There was no career's guidance there was no plan there was no strategy to it my friend walked into Burger King told me she was on 40p an hour or more I went around the corridor applied for a job got it and was actually really good at it and that I was very much into self-development then I believed I was unstoppable I uh, like I said before was was very good so I used to earn the commission I then when I relocated to Doncaster and got my promotion and what have you this was actually a different company because that company shut down and we all we all hopped over to a different company but I was responsible for the managers and then the, the managers themselves were responsible for 30 40 50 staff underneath them and so I, I was sort of senior management and I would win champagne every week I would when holidays to the Caribbean, all-inclusive holidays paid, trips to, uh, to to Holland, actually, to Amsterdam. And I used to win the grand-in-the-hand financial incentives. I was that really annoying person. Whenever you had a big conference and you'd bring all the managers together or the senior managers together, I would win everything. I was, like, just really jammy. You had to be in it to win it. We always used to be in the top sort of five or ten in the whole company. There was, there was say, 250 different different departments, different telesales departments, and we were always in the top five to ten. But even so, I was always the one that just was fluky on the day and always just won the sort of, all the prizes. So everyone hated me. It wasn't until I left Double Glazing. So I used to follow people like Paul McKenna and Tony Robbins back then, 20 years ago, and that, for people my age, wasn't really a thing. I remember Paul McKenna's book, How to Change Your Life in Seven Days. It helped me stop smoking. It was... Yeah, it, it was great. I was a very high-energy person, very positive person, but life has a habit of getting in the way, and within a, a short space of time of leaving that industry and prioritising my family and going down a slightly different path, I, I'll be honest, I became very cynical, very jaded. I thought it was just a load of happy, clappy bullshit. It wasn't for people like me, all that sort of self-development mindset type of world, and it's probably no coincidence that I spent probably eight to ten years sedated on medication pretty miserable and a shadow of my former self Mm, tough yeah tough and it's amazing how much mindset and mentality um can can pull you in the wrong direction Uh, so you went through um the next sort of 10 years or so with and you went had this the issue with the property and then the the problem with the business and you said earlier um very much that 
you um, got to a point and you're like, right, we're just, if we're going to do this, we're going to do this. You know, it was that defining moment. But what, what sort of, what did it take for you just to, because you, there must have been that point, as you said earlier, where you're like, do you know what? Um, you know, your partner, you can just go back out and be an electrician. I'll just go and get a job. What was it that you felt like really pulled you out of that to really push on? It was like a inner grit, I suppose, is the best way to describe it. And this is one of the reasons I like to do the podcast to hear other people's story of mental resilience because it's not easy that, that's why i wanted to emphasize that point when we made that decision life chucked all those other grenades at us you know like losing mark's dad eddie to cancer really suddenly it wasn't straightforward we still had tens and tens and tens of thousands of pounds worth of debt if not more than that to to repay after this business going under and actually the Sometimes, yes, you have to get educated, you have to become knowledgeable, you have to have the right work ethic, you have to surround yourself with the right people. But even before any of that, you've just got to show up. You've got to show up and put one foot in front of the other on the days where you really don't feel like doing anything. Even when you're just making the smallest little changes, just little baby steps, small incremental changes that actually over the course of months and years compound into to, to something rather magnificent when you do this properly. And it was really, really tough. So 2018, I, I was coming off all this medication rather stupidly. I went to a self-development event. Grant Cardone and his wife Elena were over in Glasgow. It was some old property mentors and friends of mine at the time that put the event together. And I was there and I was just so motivated by the atmosphere. The atmosphere was absolutely electric that... I just very stupidly decided to come off all my medication cold turkey because it was mind over matter and everything I was kind of thinking was valid and legitimate and I stand by it, but there's a, a safer way to do it. And when anyone, well, anyone that's listening to this, if, if you're ever considering coming off medication, just do it you under the guidance of a doctor because when you're on insanely high doses of amitriptyline and all the other concoctions that I was on and then you just come off them, it can actually leave you feeling pretty suicidal. It's probably one of the darkest times of my life. And that's when I'm I'm doing property, I'm doing self-development. I'm like, yeah, I've got this, no one's going to get in my way, world domination, coming off the medication and a week later I can't get out of bed, I'm feeling suicidal. Like this feeling lasted weeks after week after week and it was just really, really tough. I, I, And you don't just get self-confidence either. You don't go from lying in the fetal position, being scared to leave your house because of your anxiety, to people see me now speaking on stage to large audiences in front of hundreds of people and presume that I'm a naturally confident person. And it's one of the main reasons I share this story because it wasn't the case at all. And when I first started posting on LinkedIn, I remember it taking me full day like a full day to post a two minute video if that and it was rubbish it's long gone now if anyone's gonna scroll back and look for it it's, it's long been deleted but that's because I, I had no self-esteem I had no confidence and sometimes we're all very I don't know we want the the shortcut don't we we want to know how did you go from being on job seekers allowance having panic attacks to where you are now and the truth is and it's an unpopular truth is it was hard bloody work and it still is hard work. It was turning up every single day, even on the days I don't feel like it. It was about people start and stop all the time, but that's not how you get momentum. I put myself in very uncomfortable positions, no matter how I was feeling. I got around people that were so much further down the path that I wanted to travel. I started to emulate what they were doing. I had to look deep within and ask myself, what attributes are you looking for in somebody? Like as a property investor, you know, Henry, if your business model's anything like the one that we used to have, that is quite dependent on external finance, angel investment, JV partners, private investors, etc. So I asked myself some hard questions. What are those attributes that you would look for if you were trying if you were looking to lend a few hundred thousand pounds or more than that seven figures and I made a detailed list of all of those qualities and I marked myself against them 
and I was brutally honest with myself and I failed short on every single one of them. So the question I asked myself wasn't what I needed to do in order to become a success. It was a lot more basic than that because the question that I had to ask myself was who do I need to become? Yeah, absolutely love that. Love that. There's so much knowledge in, in what you just said from start to finish. Um, you know, just putting one step in front of another is so important and just the compound effect. And I remember at the at the beginning when I was doing that I read the book The Compound Effect and they talk about Big Mo and momentum in there. And I remember getting about six months in and going to my coach at the time but where's my big mo? It's not coming. And the compound effect takes so much longer, doesn't it? And I talked to a lot of people about the hare and the tortoise and how the tortoise just kept, you know, plugging away. And that's, that's kind of what we, what we need to do. So, um, yeah, so much, so many knowledge bombs in there, Ellie. So you're 35. Um, and I know we just talked a little bit about it, um, with, with the property, but you're 35, you've been made redundant. That was the sort of the way you restarted your life. So you went, and this is when you went to this property event. Is that kind of the thing was, what was the thing that sort of sparked into the property? So it was bizarre. Well, you can imagine my thoughts on property investing after what had happened in 2010. So we, we were always, I don't know, like Dell boys, we're always looking for something. We always know that there's more. We're always, I don't know, we identified very quickly without the knowledge that we've got now that just paying down a mortgage and living for a retirement, it wasn't for us. We always had just a bit more about us than that. I remember... Back in the day, we had a first direct, uh, one of these mortgages, had a mortgage calculator and you could play about with it. If you put an extra £100, it would reduce your term by this much. And it started making me aware of how much interest the bank were charging. And I started to understand how this game of money was working to an extent. So we always kind of had that about us. But in terms of going back into a property, like, no, I was not interested in that. So 2018... My husband's called Mark, our business partner's also called Mark. Still business partners to this day on our property business. We're, 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 you know, we're, we're just like family. Other Mark, Mark, my business partner Mark, Mark Frayne, his cousin, who was already a very successful stonemason, he had a stonemasonry business, I think he'd been across the world doing all sorts of fancy creative buildings and things, usually successful in his own right. He had randomly ended up on this particular property course. I don't know whether it's through a Facebook ad or whatever else. Now, I don't know anything about property training. I don't know anything really about this wealth creation space. Yet, back in the day, 15 years before or 20 years before, whatever, I'd read my Paul McKenna book and heard of Tony Robbins. But that was like a very, very different life. So it was my husband, Mark, and our business partner, Mark, that were actually due to go on this property training. You've got to genuinely, like, this is what I'm saying about, I have to try and connect back to the early of 2018, because if you'd have seen me back then, Henry, I was a very, very different person. I was uh, overweight. I was drinking. I mean, I don't drink alcohol at all now, but I, I was drinking we were getting to the end of the night not in an alcoholic way but like we felt we bloody well earned a couple of glasses of wine you know you're literally trying to keep your whole world from imploding and yeah like I said before there was no self-esteem there was no self-confidence I'd had a really shitty couple of years and I was a victim mentality I would tell anybody like people are like oh how are you I'm like, oh terrible let me tell you all about my life it's really shit you know and I was almost attracting this into my life you know not all of it but I definitely think when you're in that low frequency you are more prone to these disasters occurring and it, anyway to answer your question my husband there was some Facebook live or something like that some sort of a webinar that was on again I don't even know what webinar was and they were doing a section, it was the guys that run the property training. And one of them, Billy, who's a very close friend of mine now, was talking about mindset. And that was the bit that really sparked my interest. I had zero interest in property. Still don't, but don't tell anyone. <laughs> and he was talking, he was quoting Tony Robbins and saying, if something is humanly possible, it's within your reach. And it was... I don't know what it was about whether it was what he said or whether it was the way he said it, but this feeling that I'd always had deep, deep, deep down, it 
it was very, very dormant for a lot of years. I could feel it like starting to ignite. There, like something physically happened in my, my stomach, and I was just like, maybe I could come on this course and do this course. And I said to my husband, and he was like, he was quite shocked, really. They never showed any interest in property. I, I didn't really know what I was going to do in my life at that point. I was still, I think I was still on maternity leave. It might have been actually before, or I just found out I was getting made redundant, but it was a, a few months till the contract had actually ended. I, I can't remember, but either way, I wasn't doing very much for my life at that point. And I reached out to them and I ended up booking to go on this training with Mark as well. And if it wasn't for Mark, I don't honestly think I would have went because to be in a room full of people at that point was too much of a stretch. It really was. A, it's hard for me now to comprehend how bad my mental health was to be absolutely terrified at going into the room with probably no more than 15 strangers. It wasn't like a huge big conference or seminar. It was a quite small, tight group at that point. But we did it, and it was a challenge even getting there. We had, uh, we had three... Well, we still have three kids, but we had three kids going to three different people because especially when you've got you know, a baby that's a few months old, we had Isabella that was one and Sienna that was four, especially the two little ones, very, very hard work. So we had all three people in place to look after the kids. And about two days before this event, all three of our childcare options, they fell through. And I, I remember just... I mean, we all know, or I know, and I regularly quote that situations only have the meaning that you choose to attach to them. But bear in mind, I was a, in a very different headspace and I just fell to the ground. I started crying. I actually threw something across the wall, fell into the ground, rolled into the fetal position. I was bawling hysterically. I just said to my husband, like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't fucking do this was probably a more accurate quote. What's a fucking point? What's a fucking point? Every time I get back up, somebody just slams me back down. I'm staying down. I'm not. Because it had taken such a lot for me to, like, put myself out there and even agree to go on this course that to have all the logistical arrangements with the children fall through, it felt to me like it was fate intervening, that the universe, not that I really would discuss the universe or, or have these views back then, but I felt like the world, God, whatever you want to call it, was conspiring against me. So anyway, we managed to 11th hour sort out childcare. Some very good friends rallied around. It was challenging but we pulled it off and we went to do the training and it's not like it it's not to me it was just a gateway it wasn't so much about what we learned about property at all we, we don't get me wrong we learned about strategies that i'd never heard of before i didn't know any of the terminology the lingo didn't really know even know about flipping properties or all the different ways that you could structure things or raise finance so I'm not saying we didn't get value from the course, but really it was just a gateway to me to back into mindset and self-development and actually looking at myself in that accountability mirror and saying, you're capable of more than this. And yeah, I was on my knees and I was on my knees. I didn't just do that course and have this confidence. I wasn't. I was still having panic attacks. I went to the Grant Cardone event and ended up feeling suicidal. But my trajectory was set and I thought, if I don't end up... I remember even thinking when I was... When I say having dark thoughts, uh, I didn't actually consider killing myself, but I did feel, as I was struggling to get out of bed day after day, that this would be a lot easier to to be dead, you know. I, and I remember thinking, if I didn't have my husband and my children, I would make a very different decision. So this property training didn't just sort my life out. No, it just woke something up in my brain because a lot of it was so mindset-focused that yeah, you are capable of more. And that's what sent me on a, a completely different trajectory, getting around amazing people. And we did, we, we went on the course, we used every single penny of my redundancy money. I remember it, I got paid £7,000 and it was £7,000 exactly for both of us to do this training. We were your stereotypical middle class, not claiming poverty. As I said before, we had the detached house and 
two holidays a year, but we have fuck all in the bank. You know, we, we did live to our means. Hence why when I got made redundant, I was on job seekers allowance and also a misguided notion that I would that I needed to get my stamp, my national insurance contribution paid in order to be able to claim my pension. That's what everyone was saying to me, my family and what have you, the people in my life, well, you, you need to make sure you can't have any gaps, you'll not get your state pension. I'm like, oh God, well, you know, no responsibility to me to, to sort of engineer my own financial wealth. I need to make sure that those boxes are ticked. So I was on Job Seekers Allowance and uh, it's quite a funny story really actually because, well, <laughs> I've probably missed a bit out, but when we did the property training at the end of it, they do like an awards ceremony. Everybody gets a certificate. They bring you out a bottle of bubbly or sparkling water, whatever your preference is. And it's a bit of an, a sort of initiation to, right, you've done the training, now it's time to go off and do the hard work. And we were there and there was quite a lot of other high performance people there that, you know, very good jobs, pilots, CEOs and all of this kind of thing. So we felt like imposters anyway. And we're there, we've got our certificate and our glass of bubbly and my phone pinged. And I, I, uh, I looked at my phone and it was like, your next appointment with the job centre is Tuesday at such and such a time. And I remember showing my husband and we were like laughing. It was like our private joke. It's like, oh, if only if only they knew that really like we were just like proper imposters here. So we, we had no money, but we did make a, a really great connection at that training uh, who became a, a very good friend of ours. And within, within four days of doing the training, we bought two properties, no money down. And in that sense, we didn't look back. And because we took massive action, every time we we were succeeding or overcoming a, a challenge, it just gradually started to layer another level of confidence. But it was a relentless and grueling process. And that's the part that I need people to really listen to. You don't go and do any course for property or anything else, get all the answers and just start pinging the cash in. It just it doesn't work like that. You really have to put in the hard work and the commitment and be so, so consistent with it. Yeah, I'm hundred percent agree. And and as I've met you, I've met you in the in the last few months and I see Ellie on stage at Expert Empires with Stephen Bartler. I see confident Ellie and listen to your podcast now, you know, super super like up top three podcast am i right um yeah. and you know a lot of people would see that and just think oh you know that's been your whole life and you know because people sometimes see success as this really linear thing and people go oh yeah like that person just got lucky or they got really really successful um and this is why it's so so good to be able to you know showcase showcase is probably the wrong word showcase is definitely the wrong word but show people what um you know what the what the what you go through to get to these points to get to the success it is lots of hard knocks it is lots of uh, difficult times and putting as you say putting the hard work in so talking about um failure and what failure means to you because i know you've talked about a lot about that um through your social media feed so what, what does failure and fail forward mean to you failure means learning it means growth, you know, it, you only actually fail when you quit. I know it's a cheesy cliche, but it's true. And sometimes we have to change direction. Sometimes we may alter course. But the reality is I wouldn't change genuinely one part of our journey. I wouldn't because what's that saying? You learn so much more of from the bottom of the mountain and you do from the mountain tops. I'm terrible for butchering these sayings, but you, if you accept the opportunity to learn, bloody hell, I tell you what, the, the growth that you have, you, we're all allowed to make mistakes. It's just not repeating the same ones over and over again. Have we learned from the electrical business? Well, absolutely, yeah. Was there other thing? Yes, this company went under when there's a significant amount of money, but what could we have done differently to mitigate the risks? Well, with the benefit of hindsight, there was a lot of things we could have done differently. And, and you mentioned there about the challenges to get to this point. I just also want to add the challenges don't stop whatever level you're at. The bigger you get, the bigger your challenges get. You know, when somebody screws you over for 20 grand when you're starting out, that is a big, big old chunk of cash. We just had a property deal fall through a couple of months ago. It was over 2 million profit. We had just, just wiped out, just like that. You know, it, it's all relative. We'd actually spent tens of thousands of pounds getting this deal to, to the point that where it, you know, it was at. And yes, there's things that we could have done legally to um, potentially get some of that money back. But you're, you're talking a lot of negative energy and probably hundreds of thousands of pounds in the process. So, the challenges are real. The challenges are on 
going. But I don't know. Everyone on social media seems to have the the perfect life. What is the perfect life? Who wants a life without challenges, without opportunities to get to know yourself better, to test your resolve, to see what you're actually made of? It's very interesting. I always say you don't really know a person until you work with them. The amount of people that I have naively put my trust in over the last few years because we have a good conversation and I think we're aligned with similar values and then you award them a contract and actually the way they turn up is so far removed from the expectations I have. But again, every time something like that happens, it's just learning, 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 growing. It's not easy. This is the reason there's all these memes over social media with the roller coaster going up and down because the vast majority of people are not cut out for business. 95% of businesses fail within the first five years because it's bloody hard work. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it and not everyone is cut out for business. And nor should they be. We've got some amazing professions out there that are the backbone of our economy and I've got the utmost respect for them. But speaking from an entrepreneurial point of view, there's, uh, yeah, there's been many, many hard lessons along the way. And the more you learn, the more you know, the more you immerse yourself in self-development, professional development, education, the more the smart ones amongst us realise we know nothing. The more you learn, the more you know, you know nothing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely love that. And yeah, it's, um, it is, it's, it is tough. You know, you are right with that stat. And you know, I lost everything and had to go through it. And I wouldn't wish it that on anybody and business business is tough. And you have to get grind yourself in, you have to compound those steps in front of yourself. So you mentioned earlier something that also resonated with me because I got into I was I, I, when I lost it all, I was a broken mess. Uh, I couldn't even walk into a room full of networking people and people see me now doing standing on stage and doing keynotes. And I know you do you're a keynote speaker as well. Um, and then I got into property and you said something that um, resonates with me, which was but you don't really, you're not really that a fan on property. I got into property and I'm not a massive fan of it. It's a, it's a, it's a, 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 me finding assets to try and build up the financial stability so I don't put my family through the same issues as we had in the past. But then I went through and I found speaking and public speaking and then this podcast. So I went on a bit of a journey. So tell me about your journey with that. So you got into property and now you're obviously um, on a mission podcast host. How did that all come about? It was actually during lockdown. I was missing the in-person events. I was missing the energy that comes from that. I have to be around people that provide me with stimulation, education, growth. I love connecting with people. I always say relationships are the highest form of currency. And as much as we actually had a very lovely lockdown, particularly that first one when we had all the lovely weather and it was a blessing to spend so much time with the family, as the week started to progress, I did feel like I was losing a little bit of my identity and I was keen to get that back. Because I'm not as operational in the property business as my husband, he was you know, spending a few hours a day in the home office and doing bits and bobs and he had that separation. Whereas I was a bit like, oh, just looking after the kids. It was amazing. And uh, yeah, like I say, I wouldn't change that time in history. Well, <laughs> okay, that's a different conversation, but, but I'll rephrase that. There was a lot of positives about that, that time. But I decided that I would do something, this sounds really woo, I was doing a meditation. I don't really meditate much anymore, but we'd done a course on TM meditation and I was practicing it religiously at that point twice a day. And I, I came up with the idea to do, it wasn't a podcast then, it was at Facebook Lives called the Sunday series and I thought I'm going to reach out I reached out to Nick James who you know and some some, some other people who I, I didn't actually know at the time like Stephen Green um, one of my, my old property mentors at the time a, a guy called Paul McFadden and all these people were like yeah no problem I thought bloody hell I'm gonna have to do it now because I've, I've put myself out there and I had a, a captured audience, really, because everyone was on lockdown. So I couldn't believe it. It was like such an epiphany. In my head, I created the one-to-many concept, even though everyone's been banging on about it for decades. But I was like, up until that point, you mentioned the public speaking. I was no stranger to travelling to London at my own expense, getting a hotel to speak in front of a room full of maybe 50 to 100 people at the most. I wasn't selling a product or service. It was... Uh, it, general brand awareness talk you know just to to promote being what we do and don't get me wrong 
it pretty much always led to somebody coming up to me and going, I really resonate with you, Ellie, I really like your values. How can we get involved? How can we invest with your business? But I certainly never done the selling from stage thing ever. And, and I never will. It's, it's not me. So anyway, and that aside, I'm doing this one-to-many thing that I think in my head I've just created. And thousands of people are watching me. I'm sitting there on a Sunday night having a glass of wine, having some really high-end stimulating conversation. And thousands of people are watching it. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what have I been doing spending four or five hundred quid a time going travelling down to London with my photographer and this, that and the other just to speak in front of 50 people when I can connect with thousands of people on this magical one-to-many concept. So when everyone went back into the wild after we were uh, released from custody, <laughs> don't get me started, don't get me started about that, that's a whole different podcast, but uh, that's when I decided I'm going to do a podcast. I, I had no clue. I mean, I still have no clue. We're, we're figuring it out as we go. I had a, a £20 mic from Amazon, God's honest truth. I didn't even have a webcam. I was just using the webcam on my husband's old Mac. You know, it wasn't state-of-the-art equipment at all. Zero clue what we were doing. And uh, it's, I can honestly say it's the the best thing that I've ever done on a professional basis, you know, putting put aside being a mum and, and a wife and what have you, it has just been absolutely incredible. Because when I first started talking about the challenges of mental health and being real and raw online, it was to build a brand, but it was under the property umbrella still. And the whole reason we put ourselves out there as business people is because the more people that know who you are, the more opportunities you create for them to do business with you. It's that simple. And some of my posts on LinkedIn were getting a, a million plus views. Well, they wouldn't be talking about property, but I would get hundreds of inquiries off the back of a post like that about people wanting to work with us. It, you don't have to always be directly selling. But as I realised that my passion was less about property and more about people, I kind of started moving more towards the podcast. And we talk about your network is your net worth and you are the five people that you spend the most amount of time with. All of a sudden, I've got access as a podcast host to a pool of people that I otherwise wouldn't have been able to connect with because people are so much more open to coming on a podcast, as you know, Henry, than they are to, oh, can I pick your brains? Well, not really. I'm going to sound like a bitch here. I do spend a lot of time giving back, by the way. I spend a lot of time helping people, jumping on calls and things. I really do. But ultimately, it's cost me hundreds of thousands of pounds, literally. That's what I've invested in my own personal and professional education over the last five years, hundreds of thousands of pounds. So you can't really just pick my brain some random person off of Facebook that I've never heard of before and get my secret sauce to life. It's not really how it works and it's not the best way to build rapport and to build relationships with people. That's that's the truth of it. And uh, yeah, I was very lucky. I got Ricky Hatton, the boxer, as one of my early guests because a, a property sourcer that used to work for us had a mutual contact, which was just complete fluke. And then when I had Ricky, even though my download numbers were still pretty low because it was a brand new podcast, I was able to leverage him and then say to other people, oh yeah, I've got this podcast, Ricky Hatton's been on. And they're like, oh, well, if Ricky's been on, there's this presumption that perhaps we were further on than we are. It was a bit fake it till we make it. You know, I'll be completely honest. Be it until you become it, whatever you want to say. I never told any lies, but I certainly projected that we were a lot bigger than we were with how we branded ourselves. And that's just marketing. And it, it's just gone, I had a very clear goal of where I wanted to take it. I just was focusing on getting better, upscaling our production, getting slicker. And through that, we somehow became one of the top three podcast for business and entrepreneurship in the UK. I've had some of the most incredible people from across the world, thought leaders, athletes, Olympians, sports personalities, best-selling authors, like motivational speakers, the founder of Reebok. You know, I've had so many amazing, amazing people. And genuinely, the biggest blessing in all of it is that so many of these guests have, have actually become very good and dear valued friends of mine. But the epiphanies you get from the podcast, the golden nuggets, the coaching, the self-development that I get is not to be underestimated because one little nugget can change the entire traje trajectory of your life. 
and a lot of people as I do invest in masterminds to be around these people and to be have a have a seat at that table whereas my table through the podcast is full of multimillionaires billionaires spiritual leaders mindset experts health experts it's been an extraordinary journey and it's one that I've only recently started to monetize now we have two very lucrative sponsor deals it's actually a a multi-six-figure business now and I know within the the course of the next 12 months that that's gonna be a multi-seven-figure business absolutely love that that that's amazing and you're so right with with what it brings you with the guests and everything and I just love to see that journey and, and hear about it all so if people want to listen to it it's on all my on all the all the major podcast channels yeah, and we're about to, by the time this goes out, we're relaunching on YouTube on the 1st as well. So if you, like me, prefer to watch the videos, you'll catch me on YouTube, Ellie McKay, um, the On A Mission podcast. We're on all the platforms. We're on Instagram as well. If you want some of the short clips, shorter form content, we're on TikTok. We're on LinkedIn. We're absolutely everywhere. So please, if you've listened to this podcast and you've got value from it, Drop me a message and I promise I will respond to each and every one of you. Amazing. Absolutely love that, Ellie. And, and I've certainly listened and I'll be continue to listen because um, it's a fantastic podcast. So have you got any final words for our guests? Sorry, our guests, our listeners. Final bit of advice would be just to keep going and to recognise when you feel really shit, when it feels pointless, when it seems like everybody in their dog is... Or, getting further ahead than you are that this is normal we all experience that that actually is an indicator that you're on the right path so one step in front of the other just keep going keep upscaling your network connect with amazing people that you want to emulate look at what they're doing what attributes they possess you don't have to reinvent the wheel straight away just upgrade your networks relationships are the highest form of currency and just do it I love that. Absolutely love that, Ellie. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, thank you for sharing your story, the vulnerability, the highs and the lows. Um, so much value and knowledge for our audience. So thanks so much for coming along. Thanks, Henry.